From Casa Esperanza's National Latina Network, I'm Jose Juan Lara Jr., and this is Season 1 of Conversations Over a Cafecito. This season, we'll be exploring identity, talking to advocates, parents, nonprofit leaders, trailblazers, and policy influencers about what they wish they had known and how those experiences have influenced their current professional roles. Today's podcast, we'll be talking to someone who I consider not only a colleague, a dear friend, a brilliant attorney, but also a leader in the movement to end family violence in the Lone Star State, Maricarmen Garza. Maricarmen received her law degree in 1996 from St. Mary's University School of Law in San Antonio, Texas, and soon after started her legal career as a staff attorney for Catholic Charities in Houston. In 2000, Maricarmen joined the Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid, or TRALA for short, which is recognized as the largest legal aid provider in Texas and the third largest in the United States. Currently, Mari Carmen is the group coordinator for TRALA's Victim Rights Group and the director of the Legal Alliance for Survivors of Abuse Project, which she'll let us know a little bit more later on. Beyond that, Mari Carmen served on the Texas Council on Family Violence Public Policy Committee, is a current board member of the Texas Victim Service Association, and this year was appointed to serve on the American Bar Association Commission on Domestic and Sexual Violence, and I'm actually excited to talk a little bit more about that. So with that, um, welcome, Maricarmen, bienvenida. Thank you for, for agreeing to speak to us today about your career, your experiences, and hopefully maybe sharing some words with potential future Latino, Latina lawyers that are considering perhaps doing some public interest law, maybe representing survivors of family violence. So again, welcome, Mari Carmen. Thank you, JJ. It's always an honor to speak to you, and I'm honored by uh, the invitation to share some of my experience through this venue. Awesome. So let's get into it. Um, I want to start by asking you, did you always want to be a lawyer? Not really. <laughs> this was something that I guess grew a little bit organically uh, with some of the work that I was doing in undergraduate work. I started uh, with a degree in child psychology, and with the work that I did in working with children, whether it was in a children's shelter or a residential treatment center for emotionally disturbed adolescents, I, I kept feeling that uh, my calling was to do something a little bit more than, than counseling. I really felt the injustices in the system were causing many of the situations that were placing children in shelters or, you know, they were having a hard time in school. And so it was actually after I finished my undergraduate career and started working that uh, the interest in law became apparent to me, and mostly to do work uh, with that population. So I was surprised myself. So in your career or in your transitioning to considering a legal profession, how did you become involved representing survivors of family violence? I've known you for almost 20 years now, and um, I think uh, we first met. Uh, so full disclosure, folks, I've known Mari Carmen for, <laughs> for as long as I've been doing this work, and I think we both grew up as, quote, unquote, baby advocates in this movement together. I'm privileged to know you. But how did you make that transition? Um, obviously, you started seeing these issues around children, but then also representing survivors of family violence. 
Yes, uh, thank you, JJ. And yes, we basically grew up. We were both babies. I the other day I saw a picture of maybe one of the first conferences we had in Concan, Texas. Remember that? Yes, I do. So, <laughs> but initially, you know, my my goal was to work with children and make an impact that would make or change children's lives. And um, at that time, when I was in law school, which I started in '93. Um, the Violence Against Women Act was just about, you know, to get started in, in full force in many ways, particularly in the area of immigration work. And during my third year of law school, I participated in a clinical program at St. Mary's with Lee Dunn, and I did an immigration clinic where we started doing some of the very first VAWA self-petitions, and it was remarkable. There were still no regulations. There were Things were still in flux, but um, definitely I gravitated towards that type of work. So, of course, when I left law school, I really loved the work that I was doing and working not only with the immigration clients that I worked at the clinic, but then also the little seed to do domestic violence work and and learning about that was something that, that I found really motivating to, to learn more about. It was not something that I grew up really knowing too much about. I, I knew it from the children's perspective, but the, the powers of like the dynamics between an intimate partner relationship and what was happening was just really, really interesting to me and, and obviously something that I wanted to do and more about and learn more about. So after uh, leaving Catholic Charities, I, I did some work on my own for a few years. And um, when I saw a position open for TRLA that, you know, specifically spoke about the Violence Against Women Act, I immediately applied. And luckily, I met with David Hall, who is one of my great heroes. And I started doing some work on an OVW grant, which was one of the first DOJ LAV grants that became available and uh, hence commenced my, my legal career in this field, and it's, it's been a journey. So let's talk about that journey a little bit, um, specifically identifying as a Latina who's also a lawyer, who's also representing survivors of family violence and potentially also other Latina who are going through the experience of the legal justice system. What has that been like for you? What has been some lessons for you? And what has been some of the uh, benefits of, you know, being a Latina, being a lawyer, and also, and besides this notice about you, being also bilingual in Spanish and making mm -hmm. that connection and making sure that survivors understood their legal rights in, in these proceedings? It's a big question, yeah. so <laughs> what's that? I know. Uh, let me see where to start. Well, you know, I think having grown up along the Texas-Mexico border, and being fluent in Spanish gave me a very unique perspective from the beginning. Um, Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid covers 68 counties all along the Texas-Mexico border, and many of our clients are indeed monolingual Spanish speakers. So to reach out to somebody who is in need of help and to be able to speak to their lawyer in the same language and maybe also with the same cultural background and understanding of those dynamics was really powerful. Like we started at the understanding that we both knew, you know, the things that they were dealing with. Obviously, not 
in exactly the same way, but I knew the culture they were coming from, and, and I'm sure it was um, something that benefited uh, the, the victim who was working with me to know that I understood where they were coming from in, in some of the situations that they were dealing and, and the constraints that they were facing culturally um, in ending a relationship, even if it, if it was abusive, of being a single parent. And so I think uh, it is really important when people are represented by people who are like themselves and, and share that common background and, you know, or, you know, make the effort to learn about that background so that you can bridge, you know, that access to full help and representation and, and have them have a voice through the process. So, um, and it helped me quite a bit. And at the same time, you know, we don't just work with Hispanics. Right. So learning about all the different cultures and, you know, the different clients that I work with from many, many different nationalities and ethnic origins is also really instrumental. And in, in perhaps having grown up, you know, along the border, La Frontera, you know, where everybody is somewhat different still, even though there's a unifying essence. Um, was very helpful in, in understanding the different victims and personalities that I would be working with throughout my career. So, um, I'm not sure if that answered your question. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you did. And, and in this process of your own learning, because I think it's, it's particularly when we're trying to provide legal access to survivors of family violence, they're not just only dealing with the trauma of the event and also a a proactive abusive partner, but also there's issues around language access that could potentially either harm or help in the case, or particularly in this case, the legal case of a survivor. And I have seen you do your magic in the courtroom, and it's an amazing thing to see when survivors have that connection with lawyers that appreciate or acknowledge perhaps the cultural differences, whether it's based on racial ethnic identity, or it's based on gender, or it's based on you know, just language access and communication. Um, but it sounds to me like it, you, there's been a learning process in this for you. So you said it's been powerful. So how, is it, how has that been powerful for you as a Latina who's also identified as a lawyer and doing this work? How has that impacted your perspective in doing this work? Well, um, the way that it's impacted me, and, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question correctly, is that um, every day I feel so fortunate and blessed to be doing this work that has such a dramatic and profound impact in the people that I work with that not only changes perhaps the course of the victim who I'm working with, you know, right then and there, whether it's through a protective order or a divorce or some other kind of custody action that I would be representing them, but to know that perhaps the children and the generations to come may have a completely different trajectory because of our having come in contact. So um, it's, a, it's a very profound experience that to me, this is the reason why I do the work and why I've stayed engaged for so long is that uh, the more I do it, the more when I learn about it and the more I know I don't know everything, but also the more I'm overwhelmed by the tremendous impacts that we can have on somebody's life. And of course, you know, for somebody that maybe has felt underappreciated, not only in an abusive relationship, but maybe by society and, you know, 
helping them gain those tools, right? Because we don't only just do the, the legal work in court, but we try to connect them to the community around us. You know, one of the strongest things about some of the work that Trala does when it comes to victims is that we work very closely with local partners, right? crisis centers, domestic violence programs, dual agencies, who can then also help us connect the client to make sure that after we've left that legal case, that the client is set up and connected to continue on that trajectory of self-sufficiency, independence, and getting connected to the life that they were meant to live, you know, free of violence and and to give that to their children and their next generation. So it has impacted me in a, a tremendous way, professionally and personally, and, and just, you know, we, the magnitude of the importance of the work that we do. And having had that personal and professional experience with Trala, having been worked at a crisis center that was in your service area, I can definitely attest to that relationship, which I think is a unique partnership between a legal aid organization and victim advocates who are trying to create safety and ongoing support for survivors of family violence or sexual assault. And certainly there's this human connection there. So, you know, lawyers is a lawyer and, and you know, advocates are advocates, but I think the, the, the neat thing about this collaboration, and I'm referencing the Victims Rights Group and then also the Legal Alliance for Survivors to of these projects that you lead has been very interesting in that dynamic where we have this connection as an advocate, I had this connection with you, Mari Carmen, when you were my my attorney assigned to my shelter into my area so <laughs> I really I definitely want to echo that because it was like it's amazing like oh I'm getting to talk to a lawyer not as an advocate to a lawyer but also but like peers and, and trying to collaborate with each other to make sure that the survivor had the best legal representation that they could be afforded as a victim of crime and as a survivor of family violence or sexual assault so I really want to echo that as well but that's just an individual perspective. So let's talk about your recent appointment to the American Bar Association's Commission on Domestic and Sexual Violence, which I think is huge, and it's, I think it's a testament to your work in this movement um, and, and how you are amazing at it. So how did that come about? How did that appointment come about? How were you approached about it? Well, um, I had been admiring the commission from afar for many, many years. You know, they have been instrumental in setting out guidelines, best practices, things that I've used throughout my legal career to, to be a better lawyer. So, you know, of course, like I said, I've always followed them from afar and, and followed closely some of the work they did. Trala was lucky that early on did some work with the commission and through several of the uh, OVW grants, we were working closely together with the commission. And then I got to meet Vivian Welgo, who is the chief counsel for the ABA. She was coming through Houston, and I don't know how we got connected and somebody told her that perhaps she needed to talk to me to do a quick meeting with the local domestic violence service providers. And, of course, immediately she came on a day where I was doing a class for South Texas College of Law for their family law domestic violence clinic. And I said, well, why don't you come with me? And we, we had a brief meeting while I was doing that presentation, and then I, I was able to gather a lot of the local domestic violence providers for a lunch and just to discuss, you know, the status of what was happening in Houston with the domestic violence community. So it ended up being a very fruitful communication, and, of course, 
you know, Vivian is just lovely, and she followed up, and, you know, I think the next time that there were some appointments, she's like, I really want you to uh, submit your application. I want to support it, and so I did, and I didn't get through the very first time, uh, but on the second application, I, I did get selected to um, be a member of this commission, and I'm just thrilled. We have our orientation meeting coming up in October, so I would love to say that I know more, uh, but I think I'll know much more come up this um, October about some of the work that we'll be doing. Uh, but I'll tell you from the few things that I've done with them already, which was the annual meeting in Chicago, I was just amazed by the diversity of advocates and lawyers and judges who make the Commission on Domestic Violence and what they bring to the table. And I'm just really excited for what we may accomplish. And it's also really nice to see, you know, we've been doing this work so long here in Texas. And to have a, a broader, more national perspective is really, really interesting to me as well. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Uh, what does that appointment mean to you, and what do you hope to accomplish in your tenure? Well, again, being like a baby, you know, member to the commission, I I don't know so much to expect I open to a meeting and was just absorbing everything. To me, is um, I'd like to bring some of the perspectives, you know, that I've learned over the last 20 years working along the Texas-Mexico border with our very unique client population and bring that perspective in the work and the products and the publications and the discussions that are being had because, you know, of course, uh, the United States is so vast and there's so many different cultures and I really want to bring my perspective, which, you know, of course, having had a very unique experience along southwest Texas, uh, it's going to be, I think, very unique to the commission as well. And I know being a Latina, and I know Vivian is a Latina as well, there are other Latinos who are involved, but there's also, it's, it's a really diverse group of individuals, so I'm, I just think we're going to be able to do some pretty amazing things, and I'm, and I'm very excited about it. And knowing you, you will, because uh, you are amazing. Um, if I hadn't said it enough, I'm saying it again, you're amazing, and I, I acknowledge I'm a little bit biased, but that's okay. So in wrapping up our conversation, um, you know, I read some statistics, and I don't recall the exact numbers now, but I know that uh, particularly for Latinas, becoming or graduating from law school is very small. So what are some words of wisdom you could share with folks, Latinas and Latinos, that want to become lawyers and then perhaps considering public interest law and, and representing diverse communities? In this case, we're talking about victims of crime, whether it's domestic violence, sexual assault, and so on. What are some words of wisdom you could share with those folks, you know, those young Latinas and Latinos, like, wow, I can be a lawyer because I think representation is so important. So what, what would be some of those words? Um, I think that in the day and age where being a lawyer can have a negative connotation, right, or where I hear people really disenchanted with the law, right, I think that doing this work, and, and I think all lawyers could do amazing and meaningful work, but I really feel fortunate to have stumbled into this area of law, and because I feel that I get more out of it every day, and so to me, the encouraging part is that you can actually make a difference. I'm not saying that you don't make a difference in other areas of law and or other sectors, because you can. You can always make a, a huge difference, but 
this is you know direly needed and uh, to be able to impact your community and people like you in terms of promoting self-sufficiency for other Latinos who are struggling who may be disadvantaged in many different ways could just dramatically change the way our communities look access to not only legal services, but basically to a seat at the table many times. And, you know, whether it is in a domestic violence context or any of the poverty law context, you know, it just gives people a voice. And that's a really, really powerful, you know, motivation that impacts your ability to make a difference. You know, and again, I cannot stress this enough. Sometimes you look at these individual cases and it doesn't feel you know, much, even though you've changed dramatically the life of an individual, but having done this for the course of the, the years that I have, now I've seen like the children of my client, right? And they are doing amazing in school and they're accomplishing their own things. And, you know, I just think that it, it has the power of changing not only the community, but just the world. <laughs> So I always speak to people who are thinking about doing public interest and tell them what a rewarding career choice it has been for me and that I hope that they will give it a try because they might find it just as rewarding. Thanks, Mavis Godman. And certainly um, having known you and both as a professional and personal, as a friend and seeing you in action in the court and then now doing more national perspectives around bringing attention to these issues around public interest law, particularly, you know, for diverse communities, you know, definitely want to thank you for the hard work that you've done and continue to do representing many families out there that are impacted by this form of violence. So thank you. And thank you for joining us here today and agreeing to have a conversation over cafecito virtually, as <laughs> the case may be. Um, so thank you. Thank you, JJ. It was good to speak with you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been another episode of Conversations Over Cafecito. Brought to you by the National Latina Network for Healthy Families and Communities, a project of Casa Esperanza that builds bridges and connections among research, practice, and policy to advance effective responses to eliminate domestic violence and promote healthy relationships within Latino families and communities. For more information, visit nationallatinonetwork.org. This podcast was produced by the National Latina Network team with music by Joey Horton. Thanks for listening. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.